Hello, this is Professor Sandro Canicelli, Professor of Tourism and Leisure Studies at the University of the West of Scotland and Young Academy of Scotland member. Today, we continue our podcast series discussing the future of tertiary education, and we focus on the role of public engagement, impact, and ethical challenges. To explore this theme, I'm joined by Dr. Vary Stewart. Dr. Vary Stewart is Joint Head of the Berlin School of Public Engagement at the Natural History Museum in Berlin. Vary's work focuses on international public engagement delivery, policy, and strategic development, bringing the public, academia, industry, and policymaker into productive dialogues for mutual benefits. She undertakes interdisciplinary research on the boundaries of current engagement theory and practice, evidencing the value of engagement to institutions and research individuals, as well as audiences. Vadi is a founding member of the Scottish Public Engagement Network. She's a fellow of the Royal Society of Edinburgh and a member of the RSE Young Academy of Scotland. Thank you for joining us in this Tertiary Education Futures podcast today. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm okay, thank you. Uh, so, Vadi, today uh, our conversation is an area that obviously you are a super expert, which is uh, public engagement. And uh, it is a, an area that uh, really fascinates me as well in, in my work uh, here at the University of the West of Scotland. And But I want to know a little bit from you. Um, just let's start with a reflection and, and think a little bit about um, how you've seen public engagement changing over your career. It's, it's something that it is really... People are talking a lot about uh, nowadays, but you've been on uh, working on with that for a while now. And how you've seen and, and, and how you've seen progressing so far? Yes, it has evolved quite a bit. When I started out, it really was researchers or students going to schools and talking about their work without any training, without any um backing necessarily from the institute other than it's a good thing to do and as things evolved that came with investments so but the investment came from out with the universities uh, and the higher education institutes and that's fine i think the outward investment was very very welcome and it started to evolve the role of the public engagement professional, somebody who facilitates researchers and institutions to undertake public engagement. And then public engagement, what it is, evolved again to be, it's not just about going to schools, it's about engaging stakeholders, whether they be communities of place, communities of interest, um, it could be business and policymakers. And of course, it could be the institution that does the engagement, not necessarily the individual. So those those roles expanded and expanded and expanded, and the goals expanded. And I think that was great. What then happened came these large investments. And I think we're at a slight crisis point now because these investments have been withdrawn these incentives in some ways have been withdrawn. We used to have in UKRI the pathways to impact in research grants. That, it's a little unfair to say it's been withdrawn because you're supposed to write it throughout the grants now. But as an individual piece, it is no longer a driver. And that has left institutions who, let's face it, 
do have an awful lot of priorities that they have to put into order to deprioritize things that don't get external investment. Now, I don't think it's just the institution's fault and I don't think it's just the um, funders' faults because some institutions are still fantastic at you know doing their engagements and, and, and supporting engagement of researchers and institutional members. I also think public engagement professionals like myself, I'll be honest, have to take a little bit of the shoulder, a little bit of the blame because I don't think we evidenced enough the value of what we do and the impact of what we do in a manner that higher education institutes value themselves. We're very good at saying we need to talk to our audiences in a way that they're used to, whether that be on TikTok or whether that be through uh, patient forums, whatever that looks like. But we're not very good at thinking of the academy as an audience. And it is an audience for us. You know, if we're making a business case, we have to do that. So coming to the end of this, <laughs> how it's evolved, I think investment has re been redirected. It's not completely gone. It's very community orientated now rather than institutionally orientated. And I think that's a good thing. But I also think it's gone a little bit too far because I don't think there's enough incentives now for researchers and institutions. So it has reverted almost to a tick box. But the field of public engagement has evolved and it's evolved both as a practice and as a research field. And we've got to the point now where we really are looking at some fantastic research into engagement. And so I now feel, I think I can sum everything up in that public engagement used to be a tool for research. And I think it's now become both the tool, but also a field of research in itself. So much like in the 70s, computer science was a tool for research. It is now a field for research. And I really think that public engagement is evolving along those terms. And I hope it is. Interesting you're saying that, like, I, I'm originally from Brazil and, um, and public engagement, and we can s discuss if it's public engagement, community engagement, is a mission for the universities. So basically, you know, what they talk about, you know, like the three main areas that we have here, like research, um, teaching and internationalization, for example, uh, in Brazil has always been uh, research, teaching and public engagement, community engagement. So basically there was funding that was part of the funding that the government would give to the universe that was specifically directed to community and public engagement, you know, which was always uh, brought me to the to the idea that you know if you think about the evolution of of higher education and tertiary education, it's always been seen as a place where full of walls, uh, and I think uh, you know public engagement would allow those walls um, of privilege if you want to talk about privilege because people who would go to to these institutions were seen as privileged and were privileged. Uh, could then actually engage with the communities around it. Do you see this changing? Do you see the, the field? And you talk about uh, public engagement beco becoming the field of research, but do you see things evolving? Do you see, for example, becoming a mission, becoming the government saying, look, we, you know, we, we uh, fund universities with taxpayers' money. You need to do more public engagement. That's a really interesting question. We do have the civic universities movement here in the UK. 
um, which itself is an evolution of previous um, activities on civic engagement. And there is calls from policy, from governments, about the role of the university in our local and in our national communities. Um, but there's, I don't feel there is enough pressure on the universities to do this. Um, there's less incentive for them to do it. I actually interestingly met a university principal from Brazil recently and talked to them about this. And I was so impressed that it is such a pillar in their mission. Them and in South Africa as well, it is also a pillar in the mission. There's actually a government white paper that insists that all science must include community engagement. So this is written into policy documents in these places. It's not so much written into policy documents here. It might be in lower level indicative documents, but not in mission documents. And I think the universities and further education institutes needs to be incentivized, not just with money. I will be honest with you. I think this is one of the problems in the UK at the moment. We've been incentivized with money a lot and immediately that money gets taken away. There's no incentive anymore. But also, even while we got funding, there was no accountability for the quality of engagement we did. Um, and still isn't, to be fair. So I think there needs to be stick as well as um, honey in order to really drive engagement. But yes, to answer your question fully, and shortly, tertiary education institutes do need to take this more seriously. And one of the reasons they need to embed it in mission is because it's good for them. I don't think they see the value of engagements. And let's take away public engagement. Let's talk about engagement in the community in totality, whether that be research engagement, community engagement, whatever that looks like. It doesn't just... It isn't just there to create impact for mission, it's there to create impact for the institution. And that could be in driving equality, diversity and inclusion. It could be in, yeah, community relations. Although we'll maybe come on to why public engagement should not be public relations. And it might be in teaching, it might be in researcher development, it should certainly be in organizational development. So we need more reflection from our institutions so that they can see the value to themselves. I wonder if um, the drivers of these changes in, in the near future would be two. One is the evidence that we had from the last years, and we need to see how much this is impact of COVID or not, of the decrease in the number of enrollment of students that will push universities should do more public engagement in order to attract more students in the future. And if the changes on the values of REF, where they're talking about increasing uh, the percentage of impact, would also drive that. Um, so I want you to reflect on that. And, and I, do you think, for example, the focus on the impact agenda will be good for public engagement, for example? I'll take those one at a time. 
I'll start with the evidencing and the drive to increase enrollment. And I'll come back to that point I made that public engagement should not be for ethical reasons and should never be public relations. But you cannot deny that public engagement done well and community engagement done well is good for brand. So there is a sliding spectrum here and we just have to be aware. It depends whether you're doing your community engagement for a marketing purpose. That for me feels a bit, oh, to use a technical term, icky. Um, it feels a bit wrong, ethically questionable. On the other hand, if it's done to mutual benefits, so to make people aware or potential students aware of the value, the perceived value, no, the value of what a education at that institution can give them. And it's more than just the academic, um, the academic future, but the skills and attributes they can learn through, for example, engaged teaching, which is a really interesting um, place that development is happening at the moment. If it's done with that in mind, as well as the benefit to the institution, then that falls within the definition of public engagement, which is a dialogue for mutual benefit. I paraphrase greatly, but that's basically what that sentence in the definition from the National Coordinating Centre says. So yes, I think it has a role there. And again, we need professionals running this so that it can be properly evidenced. And I feel we do need to make sure that that evidence is collated from the start and it hasn't been in the past. And where it's published is important as well. Let's not forget that there's lots of grey literature out there. Many of my colleagues and myself have published lots of grey literature. But that's not necessarily valued as much in institutional settings, in higher educational settings. I'll come on to the REF. REF's an interesting one. The REF for me has been a double-edged sword for public engagement. Yes, it has definitely driven up the institutional value of engagement as a pathway to impact. It has driven up the desire of researchers to undertake engagement and the motivations given by institutions, whether that be including engagement in workload planning, in promotion criteria. And that in itself is fantastic that that is happening now. The problem is though, the REF in the way it's working is promoting just the best case studies. And so all the investment from institution goes into those best case studies. And well, it was my worry, but I'm actually seeing it come into fruition now. There's no investment in building new case studies and new researcher development for their own best practice and engagement. And in that way, I think institutions are fairly shooting themselves in the foot, quite frankly. They really need to be investing in these grassroots pathways to impact so that we have more case studies coming through. So the REF is good on one hand because it's promoting engagements and motivating institutions, but on the other hand, it needs to do more about motivating institutions to support early career engagement. 
interesting. And obviously, when talking about REF, we're probably talking more about universities. But when we're talking about public engagement and tertiary education, we're talking about other institutions as well. So how do you see this uh, approach to public engagement uh, in different types of organizations and institutions? Because obviously, we have the you know, St. Andrews yeah. and Glasgow and, you know, traditional universities, let's say we have the post-92 universities, we have the colleges, we have other sectors, we have the, you know, army offering education as well. So how do you see public engagement and the approaches that these different organizations take? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I work in a museum now, a research museum. And of course, we're having engagement there as well. Uh, and engagement with research, engagement with communities, engagement with societal goals and the SDGs. Do they have different approaches? No, no, not really. It depends on the goals that that individual institution has. So actually I'm saying yes and no. No, they don't necessarily have different formats, but yes, each institution has their own goals, their own means that they want to promote I think actually UWS, University of the West of Scotland, is a lovely example. They wanted to make sure that their new campus had real engagement in the community and they built a new building that has a glass frontage that is completely rolled away in the summertime, which in Paisley isn't that often, but it happens. Um, and a table tennis table is rolled out. And that's brought the community into that building and they feel part of the campus. They feel part of the institution. It's helped them to become an anchor institution in their community, not just because they're doing good in the community, but because they are actually embedded. They are part of the community. So that's a lovely way that they have done it in a physical sense. And I think Glasgow University hopes to see very much the same coming out of the arc, and I hope they do. It sounds like a great investment there. But of course, it's wider than that. Other universities have community funds that they have communities applying for, for development in various aspects. And that's all working towards the community engagement. I think if we were to make very broad strokes, I think further education does much more on the community engagement front. But I think that's because it's part of their founding mission. Universities and research institutes maybe do focus more on the research engagement. And I think that again is partly because of their own focus and mission. In the way they do things, no, I don't think there is particularly any particular way that they are different in the way they do things. Again, some do it better, some don't do so well. They need to do whatever they need to do to, to fulfill their mission. Now, a lot of this conversation is about the strategic level of the university and how they see their engagement or, or their public engagement with the communities and so on. Now, if you take that out of the strategic level and go into more the operational level of things, the people who will do those are academics, are, you know, members mm. of the administrative staff as well. How do we enable them for public engagement? How can we actually help them to develop the skills needed? What are those skills needed for public engagement? So how do we go from that strategic level? Okay, that's our mission. That's what we need to see in terms of these. And that's the benefits of doing public engagement. How do we do it in terms of the operationalizing that and enabling staff to do it? 
Absolutely. I think that's a really great question. A researcher's job is to do research. You know, it's not necessarily it's their first jobs to do engagement. I hope that researchers I work with realize the value to their research of doing engagement. And maybe that's where I'd start. You need a professional, a public engagement professional to be able to support, to widen perspectives. You know, it's not all about visiting schools. You can do many, many other things. In fact, to do public engagement, you don't need to meet the public. And the skills that need to be in place, it's not just communication skills, okay? There's a lot of plan, project planning, budget management, all sorts of activities that really need to be, or skills that need to be practiced when doing public engagements. I would also say one thing that researchers need is somebody who can help them do the administration because this is the part of engagement that is really difficult if you're not used to working with third-party stakeholders. This is, you have to think about things like relationship management. You have to find those stakeholders in the first place. You have to ensure that everyone has or feels empowered and is empowered to have a voice. You have to be able to translate jargon, not just from the academic to the societal, but there's jargon in society that academics might not get, or they might be using the same word for two different things. That is incredibly common. And so this is where that side of things can be really um, helped along Seeing also they need just the time to do it and the encouragement. Simply, if we go down to the absolute operational, simply an acknowledgement from a head of school for the work they've done goes so far. We don't say thank you enough. That's a really interesting, fascinating, fascinating point. And I think like the, yeah, the awareness and, and, the, and valuing it in the first place, right? I think if you don't, <laughs> as an organization, if you don't value then that doesn't cascade down to the the operational yeah. aspects does it work well do you think it works well then as a bridge between uh research and practice for example and what do you see the main benefits and challenges in that relationship maybe i can ask you what do you mean by research and practice what's the practice that we're influencing or learning from i don't know i'm thinking about like you know my field of expertise in tourism where actually, you know, a lot of the public engagement, it is to meet with, you know, industry people and, you know, small community groups, um, you know, communities are hosting tourists and, and, and so on. So, you know, this engagement with what we call industry sometimes. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. So linking research and practice is a absolute basic step in achieving the maximum impact and applicability of our research, but not only in that direction, so research to practice. Researchers really need to be able to listen to what practice wishes we would research. Some fields are much better at that. Some academic fields are much better than that than others. My own field of practice, researchers don't tend to be very good at listening to what practitioners want. We run a practitioner's journal club and we're generally stunned at just how inapplicable publications are to their, to our practice. Do you know what? They're great publications. There's nothing wrong with them. It's really interesting stuff, but they're not applicable to our real life. So I would love to see this public engagement as a bridge 
with more listening on the side of the academy. Is that when you're saying that, sorry, I'm interrupting Vadi, but uh, when you're saying that is, is, it comes to mind straight away, open science, right? Uh, is yeah. o, you know, is open science, for example, a tool, but not a solution exactly because of language, of a wider idea of accessibility that is not only mm. paywalls, let's say. So, it, it, you know, does open access can be helpful, but not. I think you've totally hit it on the head there. And although I wouldn't say that open access or open science is a tool for public engagement, I'd say it's the other way around. Public engagement has to be a tool for open science. There's huge accessibility issues there. You know, there, somebody worried about a diabetes diagnosis is not going to generally be able to wade through the papers to find out what the latest um, trials might be. So engagement there, that's where we need to make sure that that is a tool for translation, transcription maybe. We need to think about it being audience focused, goal orientated, and again, this point of mutual benefit. So open science is to the benefit of everybody, right? But is it really? Is it actually benefiting anybody? It is simply putting stuff out there and then what? It's the then what? It's the so what question. And I am quite passionate about this because that has to be then used as a reference point for society and research, so research and practice even, to listen to each other and to really undertake undertake conversations about what the next research questions should be. How can research be applied in the field, whatever that looks like. So yeah, I think public engagement is a tool for open science rather than the other way around. Yeah, interesting you're saying that, uh, you know, it came to my mind the, um, the issues faced uh, by the scientific community during the pandemic, right, in terms of trust of their work and the communication of scientific work scientific work and scientific doubts net because yeah. you know scientific work is not without scientific doubts to the community and how under attack during the covid uh scientific knowledge uh research experiments you know were under right does does public engagement and obviously like i think the the pandemic and lockdowns probably probably uh, probably put another uh, issue on that you know how do you see how do you see that post pandemic a relationship between society and science and what is the role of, of, of public engagement on that? I'm going to start by saying, let's not forget that research is still one of the most trusted professions and groups in society in general. However, yes, there is this huge doubt and trust backlash that we still have to face and it's very very public i think it's not necessarily just down to us i think we were played by policymakers, by the media so we need to build those relationships first as well alongside public and societal relationships there's lots of evidence out there that shows that we aren't doing this well. We aren't doing this in the most productive way. There's there's publication after publication about how you build trust, how you come back from fake news, how you, you, you challenge fake news. 
And public engagement professionals are good at this because they, you cannot challenge people, you cannot tell people that their views are wrong. Article after article has shown that this just makes people double down in their beliefs. So public engagement professionals are really good at creating dialogue. Researchers in general, and I am making sweeping statements, so I apologize to those who are very good at this, but researchers in general are really bad at starting that dialogue. They want to tell people, and they're, they're bad because of the passion they have, the belief, they know they're, they're right, but they don't realize that societal figures they're talking to also know they're right. It's about helping people to come to informed decisions. And I think that phrase informed decisions is really, really important. We can't tell people what to believe, but we can help them to inform themselves. And that comes through, that in itself has to be addressed through the fake news agenda, through your social media bubbles, through all these other policy and media gateways that people are getting their information. So yes, I think we need to be sure that researchers are aware of how we address trust and doubt in our activity. And it's not by speaking from our ivory tower. And it's not necessarily just about dialogue. It's about ensuring that we have, we are empowering people to make those decisions for themselves. And I don't mind necessarily if people don't come to exactly the same conclusion or the conclusion I hope they come to, to that fits with mine, as long as they're informed about it and as, lo as long as they're being thoughtful. Does that bring its own ethical challenges? Does that developing those conversations, would that lead to some ethical challenges for uh, public engagement officers? And, and Absolutely. I mean, there are so many, so many ethical pitfalls in what I just said. <laughs> Let's be honest here. I said earlier, I thought public engagement and science communication was maturing as a field of research. And I think the fact that we are now looking at ethics and equity and engagement is actually an indicator of just how much so. So yes, there's many ethical questions to be asked. Are we, by allowing people to voice their views on vaccine hesitancy, are we, are we obliged to listen and to let other, others listen to these counter views that we know are wrong? Let's be honest, they are wrong and they are dangerous. And how do we then manage that? I think we have to think about what the outcome is, what we really need. We can't just tell people what to do. That would also be ethically wrong. So again, I think it really does come down to what I was saying. You need to bring people to an informed decision for themselves. And I think that's that's a, a very great point to lead us through, I think, our, our final question. It's clearly there is a path that is being built for public engagement. What do you see in terms of future of tertiary education uh, and what role public engagement will play in this future of tertiary education? What I think will happen and what I would like to see happen might be slightly different things here. I'd like to see a further opening up of the sector in terms of civil contribution locally 
and nationally, but also, of course, globally, because we are a far more global enterprise than we were even three years ago. You know, we're far, far more connected. And in this age of connectedness, we need to take on global responsibility for many reasons, including the planetary emergencies, plural, that we're finding ourselves in. But I fear there's a bit of a fight of our hands here, especially in terms of academic freedom. I still, still, despite how far we have come in engagement, have academics giving me the question, what on earth could this sector of society tell me about my research? And I have to say to them every single time, it's not about what they can tell you about your research. It's what they can tell you about the environment your research lives in and the research can affect you, to affect that environment. So I think there is still culture. There's a crisis of culture in academia. I don't think anyone can deny that. There is several crises of culture, whichever those look like. And this challenges our worth and our contribution to society. We can face those challenges. We have the tools. Engagement is just one of them, but it is a strong tool and it is an underused tool to really, yeah, okay, I'll say it, promote our worth and our contribution, but it's not just about promoting, it's about listening. It's about ensuring that society can influence our institutions just as much as our institutions can influence society. So rather than just puff up and say, of course, we're very important. We also need to acknowledge other ways of knowing, knowing other epistemologies. So lived experience is incredibly um, important way of knowing. It is really, it is an expertise. We can't just think of academic expertise. Lived experience is an expertise. So again, we were just discussing the way we discuss truth and post-truth issues through through dialogue. I think that is going to be the next thing that we really have to address through engagement um, and through our institutions. I think we need to also address engagement throughout the life cycle of a academic career, including in teaching. We have lots of engaged teaching techniques that are starting to be taking precedence. And that's important because the skills and attributes that our students are learning, both undergraduate and postgraduate, equips them to be better members of the workforce and society in future, not just more productive ones, that is, not just in an academic work setting. But I worry that actually now we're distancing ourselves a little further and passing ourselves on the back and saying, well done without taking that long-term view. We need sustained investment in our culture change so that we can invest in our own ongoing impact and contributions to society. Buddy, it's been fascinating talking to you. Uh, I would like to say thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you did, please give us a rating or review. It helps other people to find the podcast. This conversation is part of the Tertiary Education Futures Project in partnership with the Royal Society of Edinburgh and the Young Academy of Scotland. The project aims to stimulate creative thinking about how post-school education might evolve over the next few decades. So please keep talking about the future of tertiary education 
You can discover more at rse.org.uk. Until next time, goodbye.